With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Nuggets Numbers. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night. As I am home now. Uh, was at Ball Arena earlier in the evening, and that game was unfortunately canceled. Um, just talking about that a little bit. The Detroit Pistons versus Denver Nuggets game on Monday was canceled. From what I understand and from what has been relayed to me, Uh, There was a positive-slash-inconclusive test in the Detroit Pistons locker room at around 6.30. Once that kind of made the rounds, once people started figuring that out, uh, all of the Detroit Pistons, or most of them, were in the locker room watching film. They had been watching film together by the time that was passed around. It was uh, pretty immediate in terms of how quickly things got around and how quickly they uh how quickly they quarantined everybody and tried to get everybody to uh understand the severity of what was going on but when you have a an inconclusive test like that and everybody in the locker room is around each other at the same time it does provide a lot of concern it does provide a lot of uh potential questions for uh whether a game should be played because all of those players would have then gone on back out onto the floor. They would have faced the Denver Nuggets, could have potentially spread the coronavirus to both teams. Um, we don't even know if there was a positive test. And I tend to think that there wasn't. I tend to think that this was more precautionary by the NBA. Uh, this protocol was put into place so that the virus doesn't have a chance to spread, uh, despite whether it's conclusive or inconclusive. Um, because of that, the Nuggets get a night off, a, a desperately needed night off, I would say, uh, on this Monday. They're actually going to get Tuesday and Wednesday off as well before they head to Los Angeles to face the Los Angeles Lakers on TNT on Thursday night. Uh, kind of a matchup between two MVP candidates with Nikola Jokic and LeBron James. Uh, going to be a fascinating story, I think. Uh, but it was kind of interesting being in the building and not really knowing what was going on. Or I, I kind of had more of an inkling of what was going on. I was kind of sitting on media row, uh, not necessarily uh, just kind of waiting for the game to start. And it, it, the clock kept ticking down. It was uh, usually the teams come out when there's uh, they have a running clock on the jumbotron uh, on the yeah the top jumbotron at the top of the the scoreboard for the arena. Uh, usually that keeps time, that keeps track of when game and arena events are supposed to take place, when they're supposed to line up for the national anthem, things like that. Uh, supposed to, it starts counting down at the 99 minute mark. So 
when the when the clock was counting down and it went down from 20 to 15 minutes to 10 minutes and there were still no players and I I turned to Harrison Wind who was at the table seated next to me with with a mask on uh and I asked him hey where are the players uh and he kind of looked up and then everybody around me kind of looked up like hey uh this could be an issue so about a minute to 2 minutes after that uh Shams broke the tweet that basically said, hey, game postponed. Uh, we initially had some concerns that uh, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, uh, both of those guys from the Detroit side, they had been mingling with the Nuggets for pregame because that's what people do when they haven't seen each other in a while and were teammates and they wanted to catch up. Uh, Micah Nori, who's a former assistant on Michael Malone's staff, was also kind of mingling around, saying hi to people, just re- revisiting and, and figuring out, hey, how's everybody doing? Uh, but because of that, and, and because of all of this, that, that looked a little bit scary at the time. Uh, but it turns out it, it looks like it was something that originated from inside the locker room, from not one of those players. I think uh, I think Mike Singer reported that it wasn't Either of those two, and Ed Harrison Wynn tacked on to, hey, it wasn't Mike and Nori who tested positive or had the inconclusive test. So hopefully this is much ado about nothing. Hopefully this just gives the Nuggets some extra, some extra time to breathe and to not have to stress for a little bit. I've already gotten the email that the Nuggets aren't going to be practicing tomorrow. So they're going to have plenty of time to not have to go through game prep, not have to go through... Uh, all of this, but it does kind of suck that uh, the call came in at about seven o'clock when it was, hey, the the game is postponed. So those players, they had to go through all their pregame routines. I'm sure that they're okay with this being postponed, though. Uh, Michael Malone was talking about how all of these games have been condensed into such a short amount of time. So it's a big deal that that Denver gets a little bit of a break, especially after a five game road trip. Um. You know, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to do a league-wide update. Uh, I'm, this podcast is going to be uh, kind of all over the place a little bit. I want to do a league-wide update first, and then in the final segment, I will be talking about Nikola Jokic's MVP candidacy, candidacy because it is time to really start ringing that bell. Uh, this dude is the MVP. He deserves to win it at this point. Uh, if that continues, then he should continue to hear it from people like me, people like the Nuggets fans, and basically everybody that has a soul. So let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to do the league-wide update. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Nuggets numbers. Ryan Blackburn here. Uh, just me tonight. Uh, Monday night. I got back all safe and sound. Probably gonna get myself tested tomorrow just in case. But uh, uh, really, that's that's the good thing about the protocols that the NBA has established is that. I'm in the yellow zone, 
Uh, and the red zone is where all of the people that have to get tested consistently that are in the, the danger zone by interacting with each other closely, they always have to get tested. The yellow zone doesn't ever interact with the red zone. So I tend to think that I'm okay, but I'm going to do it anyway. Going to do it regardless just to be safe. Um, okay. Let's go through the league-wide updates, uh, starting with the the record updates, the net rating stuff. I think this is important to do throughout the year, and the Nuggets have played 20 games. Uh, teams are, are kind of in that, that quarter mark threshold, so it's a really good thing to update the league, update people on where the league is at, and where the Nuggets are at within that standing. Um, the Nuggets currently rank fourth in the Western Conference. They have a record of 12-8. and eight. Uh, That is... Tied for the same percentage points as the Memphis Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies have only played 15 games, five less than Denver. Uh, they they are at nine and six. I don't think that the Grizzlies are going to maintain what they've done, but they have won seven in a row. So it's been pretty impressive to see what what they have been able to do. They went from two and six to nine and six real quick. Uh, will that maintain? Uh, depends on how you feel about John Morant and when Jaron Jackson's going to come back. Um, but third place in the West is the LA Lakers at 16 and six. They won tonight. They're tied for, or they're, they're at the same number of games back, uh, with the Utah jazz who are percentage points ahead of them. And then the LA Clippers are percentage points ahead of the Utah jazz. That's how the West stacks up right now. You've got you, uh, the Clippers at one, the jazz at two, the Lakers at three, the Nuggets at four, Grizzlies at five, Phoenix at six, Golden State at seven, Portland at eight, Houston at nine, and the San Antonio Spurs at ten, who after they they won against Denver, they've dropped two in a row. So it, it's it's too bad that, that Denver got their best shot as opposed to uh, uh, what they've been giving out lately. They got blown out by the Grizzlies earlier tonight. Um. What this playoff picture says to me right now is that there really is a clear divide between the top four teams in the West and the bottom, or basically everybody else in the playoff picture and then the bottom after that. Uh, The Nuggets, I think, are by reputation and based off of how they've recovered over the past few games, I think they can put themselves in that upper echelon. (laughs) I don't think that's outlandish by any stretch of the word. They just beat the Jazz. They ended their 12 their 11 game winning streak. Uh whether you want to put the Clippers and the Lakers in their own tier, uh be my guest if if that's what you think. Um either way, uh the Clippers, Jazz, Lakers and Nuggets have really separated themselves in the West. In the East, you have the Philadelphia 76ers, captained by Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. They are in the first uh first spot in the in the Eastern Conference at 15 and 6. Uh, they've been pretty good, and when they have their full roster, they've been very, very good. I think it matters that only nine or only six of the teams in the East have an above five hundred record. It is just a much easier conference to play. Um, that I think should matter to everybody. Uh, only Philly, Milwaukee at two, Brooklyn at three, Boston at four, Indiana at five. And then Atlanta at 500 uh, are a 500 or above in terms of their record. That's kind of nuts. 
Uh, Toronto, they started off really badly. They're six and four in their last 10 games. They're down at the 11th seed right now. That's pretty scary. The Miami Heat are down at 13. They're seven and 13. They've, they've won seven out of 20 games, which is nuts. And it doesn't feel like they're getting better anytime soon, despite the fact that they've had, like, they've been, uh, they've had some tough times due to COVID, but most teams have. Like, it shouldn't be that aggressive that they've been so far at the bottom. Um, two teams below them are Detroit at 14, who Denver would have played tonight, and the Washington Wizards at 15. They're, they're, they're 4 and 12. They did just win their last game, but they have been the worst team in the NBA through 20 games, through the quarter mark of the, of the season. It's not what Bradley Beal signed up for. It's not what anybody really thought that they would do. I thought that they would be at least in the playoff game uh, or the, the play-in game in that 7 to 10 range. But they have really fallen off. And <coughs> a lot of that has been to do with Russell Westbrook. When he is your second best player, uh, it's going to be up and down. And, and lately it has really been down for that team. So if I were them, I would be pretty concerned about their prospects with Beal. It has been bandied about that that teams are are interested in Bradley Beal. The the Wizards haven't put him on the market yet. He hasn't demanded a trade in any way, shape, or form yet. Uh, the Nuggets keep coming up in that discussion because they have championship hopes and they have a potential opening at the shooting guard spot if you don't believe in Gary Harris or Will Barton. And I, I obviously, like, Bradley Beal would be an upgrade over those two. I'm not sure that a Bradley Beal trade solves everything for Denver because they still have, like, in order to acquire a player like Beal, they would have to trade at least two starters, uh, Porter and somebody else, whether it's Harris or Barton. Um, if it's Harris, then like, okay, you, you're you're going to start Murray, Beal, and Will Barton at the three. What what's the plan in, in that case? Uh, I don't know if I necessarily like it. I think that it's pretty short-sighted, though I understand why people like it. He has been very good. He leads the NBA in scoring. Um, that is one way that Denver could potentially jump into the upper echelon of the Western Conference. However, it's a pretty big move. It's a, it's a ginormous move, actually. And to just assume that Denver should do it because Beal is good, I think that really undersells what kind of a team the Nuggets are and, and what kind of impact that would have or not have. Uh, maybe it would be great. Maybe because Denver has loaded up on really good role players that maybe they should be trading that for a star. I'm not sure if Bradley Beal is that guy, though, and I tend to think that it's probably not him, uh, despite the fact that he's, again, a very talented player. Don't get me wrong. I said the same thing about James Harden, uh, and that's... I know people were pretty upset with me when I said that, in a lot of cases. Um, but is that the only way that Denver can really upgrade their standing in the Western Conference? Is that the only way that they can become a championship contender? No, it's not. The, the first and foremost way that they can become a championship contender is for Michael Porter Jr. to solidify himself in the starting unit once again, or to solidify himself as a 30-minute-per-game player when the playoffs come around. And both of those options could absolutely happen, and you would be living under a rock if you didn't think it could happen. He has been good. He has been 
one of the most efficient scorers in the entire NBA thus far. Uh, he does it by working within his own means, but also within the offense at times. As he continues to ingrain himself into the offense, I tend to think that things are going to get even better for Denver at this point. But it is going to be tough, and Denver isn't fully at their, their fullest luxury to be able to just play him 32, 35 minutes per game at the starting three and say, hey, this is this is how we're going to do things. Well, they would have to probably shift Paul Millsap out of the starting lineup because I don't think those two work together very well and the numbers bear that out. Uh, there would still be an adjustment period for Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and Michael Porter Jr. In addition, Michael Porter's numbers and his usage have actually gone down a lot so far when they when he plays next to Nikola Jokic. Even when Jamal Murray is off the floor, uh, Jokic isn't looking for Porter that often. And it could just be a, a newness factor. It could just be them trying to figure things out. But I tend to think that those things take time. And, and it's going to take some adjustment from Nikola Jokic that when Jamal Murray is off the floor, it's okay to also run similar things with Michael Porter Jr. Um, but it's also on Michael Porter Jr. to be able to adjust to the, adjust to that role and be able to read the court when dribble handoffs need to happen or he needs to cut back door or instead of just doing the normal thing where he cuts back door all the time on the weak side or when he's even on the strong side of the play. He has to come get the ball, and he has to come be willing to make plays for himself and others with the ball in his hands. Denver has to be willing to live with the mistakes of that as well, because they're all going to be teaching moments as long as he's trying to do the right thing. Uh, I tend to think that Denver's development program with their stars has been pretty good, and they deserve credit for that, and Denver, obviously, with the way that Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray have played, uh, they deserve your time and your patience to integrate him. It's not going to happen immediately. And attacking Will Barton and Paul Millsap on Twitter, when it doesn't happen, that is also not the way. Uh, Gary Harris was also the initial target. Uh, he, that is not the way either. Uh, all these guys are on the Denver Nuggets, and they've all put in so many years and so much impact to what the Nuggets have become. It's on Porter to be able to figure out how he can best fit into that first before ultimately becoming one of the top three most important players on the roster, maybe even higher. I think he still has the ceiling to do that, for sure. So, I think that there are definitely trades that Denver could make to boost their uh, potential championship window this year. Uh, my guy Aaron Gordon, I think that he is a great fit for the Nuggets, but he did just uh, sprain his ankle. It's going to be a heavy sprain. He's out for four to six weeks. Uh, that puts him out right at the trade deadline. That that should be around when he comes back. So going to be interesting to see what Orlando does and what they're willing to do at the trade deadline, because they've already kind of fallen out of that playoff picture a little bit. Uh, they're at 12th, and I think that Miami's going to come back. And I think that Detroit and Washington, Detroit's probably going to stay at the bottom, but like Washington could definitely come back if they make a, a win-now move of some sort. Um, 
Toronto's going to keep being good. I, I just don't see with, with Orlando. They've already lost Isaac for the year. They've lost Markel Fultz for the year. Aaron Gordon's going to be out for four to six weeks. It's just Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross right now. So I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I would probably predict that they trade Aaron Gordon at the trade deadline, but they have never done so. So I I, I don't know. That's that's He's in year seven there, and I think that he's probably good for a change of scenery. There are other players that could fit that bill as well. Uh, P.J. Tucker of the Houston Rockets, as well as guys like Daniel House, uh, on that roster, they could potentially be moved. Uh, I recommended Josh Hart in a trade article at some point last week. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans have kind of fallen apart, and he's due for a new contract next year. Uh, so we're going to see what happens there. But either way, let's take a break. Uh, good stuff there. When we come back, we're going to talk more in depth about Nikola Jokic's MVP candidacy. I think that that's going to be an interesting piece. And this is the the kickoff point of of that MVP campaign. We'll be right back. And we're back. Nuggets numbers. Final segment here. Uh, Going to talk about Nikola Jokic, the MVP, because that is what he has been through the quarter mark of the season. And if you haven't acknowledged that, then it's it's probably more to do with uh, actual biases because he has been the best player in the league this year. And I will go through the other competitors and I'm going to pick apart their resume because it is pretty clear, it, like just, just looking through some of these numbers, that there's only two candidates. Only two guys have really separated themselves, in my opinion, as guys that should win the MVP. And one of them has been better than the other. Here are the competitors uh, from back to front, I think. Kevin Durant. Uh, Kevin Durant has been a top five player this year. He's been on a good, not great team with Brooklyn. Uh, He's been an elite comeback story. has been awesome. Honestly, it's been a lot of fun to watch Kevin Durant. And I did not think that he would be able to do the things that he has done. Uh, since coming back from that Achilles tear. He has been that and more. Uh, He was at least the best or second best player when he got injured. And it's been really, really interesting to watch him come back and try to navigate this Brooklyn Nets situation because it really is a a ballers club, in my opinion, with the way that uh, Kyrie Irving plays and James Harden plays and Kevin Durant isos at the in the mid-range spots and comes around and hits those mid-range jumpers and just does does not care about things like shot selection and efficiency because he makes everything from everywhere no matter what. Um, It's pretty impressive to see. Uh, He has been great, but the team has not been good. And it's not been, it's not been perfect around him either. Um, They've had a really awful defense as a team. And that's not entirely his fault. It's it's not, I'd actually say he's one of the better or best defender on that roster right now. However, it it has really tanked their teams winning in a couple of games. And I think that he probably loses a couple of votes to James Harden as well, given the fact that James has come in and 
has been an immediate impact player for them. He's shot 40% from three, averaging double-digit assists, nearly 25 points per game. Uh, Still an impactful player and and really kind of the straw that stirs the drink for the offense there. So it's it's quite interesting, actually, to, to see the dynamics of that. But I don't think that Kevin Durant is the MVP thus far. He just deserves to be in the conversation. Uh, Kawhi Leonard is another top five guy who's been on an elite team. Uh, he's solid all around year. Hasn't been spectacular. It isn't like the 16-17 year that he had with the Spurs where he really broke out and, and was just looking incredible on both ends of the floor. Uh, he's been good. He's been solid. He hasn't needed to be the best yet. Uh, Partially because he's surrounded with elite role players who are tailor-made to play with him. Partially because Paul George is also his guy. And Paul George has shot 50-45-90 on high volume. And I tend to think that if you have another guy like that in the top 10, uh, who can work completely independent of what Kawhi Leonard is doing, then it's not necessarily the most impressive thing. they have a really good team around that group. Nuggets fans know how good Kawhi Leonard is, but I don't think he has been the best player in the league, and I don't think the fact that he's been on an elite team changes that. Um, okay, Luka Doncic, another top five player. Doesn't have enough help around him right now, hasn't been a good three-point shooter, and his team is below 500 at this stage. That's really bad. Uh they should be better than they are. They've had some clutch problems, uh, despite the fact that they won a game against Denver in the clutch. Um, he has to do everything for them. He's spoon-feeding players shots uh, when he can. And their offense has been fine. That's been pretty good, but their defense has fallen off a little bit. Uh, when he's not doing stuff, they don't have enough other people that are doing stuff, and that's really kind of hurt their hopes. Uh, teams are able to load up on Luka. They're, he's commonly seeing triple teams, quadruple teams, three or four bodies in the paint. Kicks it out to an elite, to an open shooter, and the open shooter doesn't shoot shots and makes shots. Uh, Chris Porzingis has been bad there. That hasn't helped his case, but overall it really is team wins that drag Luka down. That's been a problem. LeBron is another guy who gets a lot of uh, kudos for being in the MVP race. ESPN actually said that he's the front runner and, and is kind of setting the table for for challengers and like who who can challenge LeBron James is kind of the narrative that's been set so far. Let me tell you that LeBron is really good and because of the team that he plays on and because of the role he plays on said team, he deserves to be in the MVP conversation. But he hasn't been a top five impact player thus far. He's just the best player on the best team. I think the Lakers are the best team. Despite what record says right now, despite what net rating says right now, uh, I do think that the Lakers are the best team. LeBron is the best player on the best team. However, he has kind of taken a step back. It's not perfect. (laughs) He's Compared to Jokic's numbers, he's like he's averaging less points, rebounds, assists, steals, and I think blocks, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he hasn't been as necessary because they've added some important pieces, and their important pieces have played really well. 
They still have Anthony Davis. They added Marcus Gasol and, and Montrez Harrell, and both of those guys have been impactful. Uh, Marcus Gasol kind of setting the table, and then Montrez Harrell being an incredibly efficient scorer. Uh, Kentavious Caldwell Pope is shooting 50% from three still. And they have a bunch of guards who continue to do really good things on their own. They do assist LeBron mostly, and they do try, they, they kind of have still built the roster around the LeBron AD pick and roll. However, it hasn't been those guys as much this year as it was last season. And I tend to think that that hurts his case a little bit. Now for the runner-up, uh, Joel Embiid. He has been the second best player in the NBA thus far. Elite on-off numbers that are really aided by the fact that Embiid doesn't have a great backup plan for that roster. The, the Sixers don't know what to do when Embiid isn't playing. Uh, Dwight Howard is one option at backup. Uh, they have Tony Bradley as another option. But they don't really know how to pivot. And Ben Simmons playing the five has also been a potential answer for them. And that's just not a great situation either. They, don't, they just don't have the personnel to really perform well when Joel Embiid isesn't great. And let's be honest, Joel Embiid has been great. There's a reason why people are giving him some MVP props. He has been awesome. And the on-off numbers do speak to the fact that he has a tremendous amount of impact. On top of the fact that he's averaging about 28 points per game, he's averaging a high number of rebounds just like Nikola Jokic, and he has been a good defender, a potentially great defender. Uh, just kind of looking at the defensive numbers right now, let's see where let's see where the Philadelphia 76ers rank in defensive rating. They're at fourth, so like they're they're a, a really good defense, and that counts for them. Like, hey, it's 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 great that they've done really well. Uh, I tend to think that that's not the perfect reason to give Joel Embiid an award because Ben Simmons is also on that team, and he has been an incredibly impactful defender himself. So, I don't know. It. I tend to think that Joel Embiid, while he has been great, there are definitely moments where he isn't, and. For a player that consistently is, his dominance is through physical means. He's shot a really efficient percentage from two, uh, from the mid range this year, and that's a good that's a good sign for him. Like like, hey, good good on him for being able to do some of that stuff. But I just tend to think that Jokic has been more has been better and more all encompassing in terms of his impact, especially on the offensive end, which I value more. Not for obvious reasons, but because I just tend to think that offense matters more than defense. This isn't a 50-50 proposition. This is more like 60-40, uh, 66-33, whatever you want to call it. Uh, stars are stars because of what they do on the offensive end of the floor. Just ask Rudy Gobert and how people treat him. Like, that's just kind of how this thing is. And I don't want to belittle Joel Embiid's MVP candidacy. I just called him the second best player in the NBA. But I've watched Nikola Jokic. I've watched him. I've watched every single game, every single possession. I try to zero in on what he does, some of the nuances. And usually after those points, I come away knowing and appreciating the game of basketball better. Because Jokic has completely changed 
how the center position is played. He's done it from the post. He's done it from the from the elbow. He's done it from the top of the key. He even runs baseline to, to come off screens like a floppy action. It's It's been very impressive to see him do things in so many different ways. And they've all added up to the fact that he's been statistically the best player in the NBA so far for everything that he has done. The per-game numbers. Let's just go through them real quick. Well, let me just pull them up. Minutes per game. He's at, he's 11th in the NBA at 35.8. Um, points per game. 12th in the NBA, 26.8. Basically 27. Rebounds per game, 6th in the NBA, 11.8. Assists per game, 6th in the NBA, 8.6 per game. Steals, he's also 6th. 1.8 steals per game. He has made impactful plays in all facets of the game. And he has impacted wins in all facets of the game. If the Nuggets did not have Nikola Jokic, they would not be anywhere close to the team that they are. He makes them who they are based off of his presence on the floor. And he has elevated that team in ways that I don't think are appreciated by people that just look on on-off numbers. Why don't the on-off numbers look as good for Nikola Jokic as they do Joel Embiid? Well, that's because Denver's lineup is is not top-heavy like Philly's is. On Philly, you have Ben Simmons. You have Seth Curry, their impactful three-point shooter. You have Danny Green, who's been a plus-minus guy for his entire career. You have Tobias Harris, who's getting all-star consideration for the fact that he's been scoring 20 points per game and doing so efficiently. Really been impactful. He had a game-winning shot against the Los Angeles Lakers. That wasn't Joel Embiid, by the way. Why don't Jokic's numbers look like that on the on-off? Denver's had their third, fourth, and fifth best players so far this year come off the bench. In some order, it's been Monte Morris, Jamichael Green, and Michael Porter Jr. All three of those guys have been impactful, and they've all played most of their minutes together in a bench unit that doesn't feature Nikola Jokic. Why does Denver do that? Why don't they stack the deck and put their starters up? Because Michael Malone trusts Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray to carry the load with their starting unit, to get them through those games, or to get them through those minutes in the first and third quarter when Gary Harris, Will Barton, and Paul Millsap are doing what they can on the floor, are doing, are trying to figure things out. Um, Will Barton has had some moments. Gary Harris's shot is back. Don't get me wrong. Those guys have been good. They have been great, though, and Denver's bench has been a lot better because they put their best players on the bench. Monte Morris has been great. Michael Porter Jr., a flamethrower. Jamichael Green has shot like 47% from three so far this year. There's a reason why Denver has been successful with their bench units when Jokic is off the floor. When that doesn't work, they usually put Jamal Murray out there, too. Denver is tired. Michael Malone is exhausted of losing the minutes without Nikola Jokic. He has all of those minutes lost throughout his career. It's been that way throughout his career. Denver, in many ways, is trying to negate that by putting Gary Harris, Will Barton, and Paul Millsap in that starting lineup, keeping them out there because they have familiarity with each other, 
But the best players have been Monte Morris, Jermichael Green, Michael Porter. Over those three guys. I don't think Jokic should be penalized for team decisions like that. And for having a good coach that is a, that is able to squeeze out wins and has really been able to pull the strings the way that Malone has had. Denver has carried Denver he's carried the starting unit to an elite offensive rating as well. They have the fifth best net rating in the NBA for any lineup to exceed 100 minutes. And they have the best offensive rating. 124 points per 100 possessions scored by a lineup that features Jamal Murray, who has been average at best for most of this season, Gary Harris, who basically shot 7% from three for the first eight, nine games of the season, Will Barton, who couldn't finish at the rim, was, was one of the worst guys in the league at finishing their field goal percentage on drives. Paul Millsap, who's basically become a shell. Like, as much as I love these guys, as much as I, I as as much impact as they've had over the course of these three, four years, the reason why that lineup works is because Jokic orchestrates it all. Because those guys are good enough to read the floor and put themselves in a good position for Jokic to assist them, for Jokic to score for them to orbit around Jokic in every single way, shape, and form. He has been the world for Denver. He has been everything that Denver needed. And it's really borne its way in the advanced numbers. Just on basketball reference, um, win shares, Jokic is first. He's at 4.4 win shares total. Kawhi Leonard is next to 3.3. Joel Embiid next to 3.2. Win shares per 48 minutes. Joel Embiid actually leads here. And good on them for for winning the games that Joel Embiid has played well. Um, And good on them for for not having to win as many games because Joel Embiid hasn't played in as many of the games that Jokic has. Jokic is second in that category. Box plus minus. Jokic plus 10.6. Better than anybody in the league. Luka Doncic is next to 8.4. Joel Embiid at 8.3. Offensive box plus minus, Jokic is at 8.5, which is higher than anybody's actual total box plus minus. Value over replacement player, Vorp, Schmorp, whatever you want to call it, in the words of Zach Lowe. Uh, Nikola Jokic, first, 2.3. Nobody else is really close to him. This dude has separated himself statistically. He's done it by being in the best shape of his career, by playing the most minutes of his career, by being the most effective that he's ever been in his career. The Nuggets as a whole, they have they were pretty bad at the beginning of the season. They couldn't get their defense on track, but they did get their defense on track in January. They had the 5th best offense, 10th best defense, 3rd net rating overall. Jokic was the biggest reason behind that. Denver had to figure out the things that they could without Nikola Jokic on the floor. That put them at a disadvantage in a lot of ways while Nikola Jokic was on the floor, and he still managed to make it work. Hard to really put that into perspective beyond the Utah Jazz game that just happened on Sunday, where Nikola Jokic put up 47 points by scoring 22 points in the second quarter and dominating Joel Embiid. Uh, 22 points in the first, excuse me. Jokic is on another level right now. This is the best he has ever played. 
he is still growing. He is still trying to figure out the game. He is still navigating and inputting data. And he's going to continue to get better because his brain is never going to stop letting him get better. He just sees the court so well, picks teams apart with careful precision. Sometimes not careful precision. Sometimes it's a brute force hammer. With Joel Embiid, it's always a brute force hammer. But Jokic has the ability when the going gets tough and when teams aren't fouling him or or when they are fouling him and the refs aren't calling it. Because that happens for Jokic pretty frequently. When that happens, Jokic has the ability to adapt his game and play in different ways. When option A isn't working for Embiid, he doesn't have that next option. Jokic can be a passer. Jokic can be a scorer on the inside. Jokic can be a scorer on the outside. He navigates the offense, and it's entirely cut to his specification because that's the kind of player that he is. And he's done it at a level that nobody has ever seen because right now he's leading the league in PER, and he's on the border of breaking the PER record because that's just the level of player he is. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Make sure to spread the gospel of Nikola Jokic on Twitter tomorrow because I think that he deserves as much credit as he has not been receiving. He deserves way more. He should be that guy who, when it's all said and done, lifts the trophy if he continues playing at the level that he's playing at now. And I don't see any reason why he shouldn't. He is in the best shape of his career. His mind is in a great place. And he's about to go on a reign of domination. Been very impressed with him. And you should be too. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys very soon. Thank you.